0: I'm Charles Lee, and you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Professor Dan McAdams will join us to discuss the strange case of Donald J. Trump. So stay tuned for all of this, plus the Grokatron 5000, and our world famous question a week coming right up here on the Grok's Science Show. back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, the office of the presidency of the United States attracts a certain type of individual whose psychological makeup needs to be of a particular sort. Perhaps no more so than 45th President. And joining us today to discuss the case of the 45th President is Professor Dan McAdams. Dr. McAdams is the Henry Wade Rogers Professor of Psychology and Professor of Education and Social Policy at Northwestern University. He's the author of nearly 300 scientific articles and chapters and seven books on personality development and psychological biography. He has numerous awards and has written several works for a popular audience, including his most recent release. The Strange Case of Donald J. Trump, A Psychological Reckoning, and Professor McAdams. We're very pleased to have you today on the Grok Science Show. It's great to be here. Thank you. Fascinating book. certainly a timely book in which you put our 45th president on the uh, analysis table. I'm curious how you decided to be writing this book.
1: Well, it wasn't my idea originally. Four years ago, the Atlantic Magazine, Atlantic Monthly, asked me to do a piece on Donald Trump when, during the Republican primaries. And I didn't know much about him at all at the moment at that time. So I just did a deep dive uh, for a month or so and learned learned all kinds of things, focused on a lot of uh, reputable biographical sources, and put together an essay sketching out some of the major dimensions in his personality I didn't think he was going to win the election. I mean, who did? But he did. And then I found myself like a moth drawn to the flame over the next two or three years and did a much deeper dive during that time, and it eventuated in this book. The book draws from personality developmental and social psychology. It tries to make sense of what kind of a person Mr. Trump is. What is it like to be him? And in that regard, it's not diagnostic. It's not about mental health. It's not really putting him on the couch.
0: You mentioned you draw from all these different sources. How reliable do you think, then, is? is the sketch, the sort of approach, been used with other individuals with good reliability in terms of determining the personality? Yeah.
1: Well, there's a couple of different issues there. First, you know, what sources do you draw on with respect to Mr. Trump's life and so on? And there are some very good biographies that have been written, pretty objective, evidence-based. Gwen Blair wrote one, Michael D'Antonio. So I spent a lot of time with biographical sources. And, of course, I read... Mr. Trump's books as well, and the books that he co-wrote. And then you sort of follow things in the news and so on. The other part of it is the concepts that you use. And so I stayed away from clinical concepts, ideas having to do with mental health and so forth. It's too easy just to sit back and kind of make these pronouncements like that. I wanted to focus instead on well-validated research evidence regarding concepts in personality and developmental psychology. I had done this once before. I wrote a book on George W. Bush back in 2011. It came out through Oxford Press, and uh, I
0: I adopted that. There's certain things that you look for when going through these sources that give you insight in
1: terms of the personality. Uh, I I have a model for personality. I see it in terms of three layers. There's the layer of the social actor, which has to do with your basic dispositional traits that sort of shape your style of performing in the world. Each of us is like an actor and we're out there performing our roles. And there are these traits out there like extroversion and conscientiousness that shape that. And then you go deeper to the second level, what I call the motivated agent, which has to do with people's goals, values, motivations. And finally, and for me, most importantly, is that third level, what I call the autobiographical author actor, agent, author. From the standpoint of an author, the question is, what kind of a story has the person created in his or her mind to make sense of their lives? And this is where Donald Trump becomes so interesting. I resisted this interpretation for a year at least or two, but finally I had to come around to the idea that he's really different from everybody else on the planet almost, certainly different from anybody I've ever studied in that there's no third level there, Mr. Trump does not have a story in his mind about how he came to be and where his life is going, which is to say he doesn't have what personality psychologists call a narrative identity. And a narrative identity is this story in your mind, it's a reconstruction of the past, you know, all these events from your past, you're sort of living in time, you've got one eye on the past, how I've come to be, how I've changed over time. And then you've got an eye on the future. Where is my life going? So beginning, middle, and ending. We all sort of do this naturally, that is, except Mr. Trump. He is, by contrast, what I call the episodic man. He lives in the moment, the emotionally vibrant, usually angry and combative moment, like a boxer in the ring, constantly fighting. And it's always right here in the moment. He's not looking to the distant future. He's not thinking about the past. He doesn't live in time the way most people do. It's it's
0: rather odd because he makes these pronouncements of his past, of him being a self-made man. He has this biography, but this, you say, doesn't really play into his internal dialogue of who he is.
1: Yeah, good point. He has a sense of his past, and he'll tell you he's pretty much the same as he's always been, which is to say, great, fabulous, beautiful, a stable genius he's able to make attributions about himself, as we all do, we all have trait attributions, which is to say we are all social actors and we recognize our attributions. We see ourselves out there. So Mr. Trump knows that he's a socially dominant, extroverted, somewhat disagreeable person. He knows all that the way the rest of us do. Those are attributions. But he doesn't have an internal narrative that kind of charts how he's come to be and where his life is going. And the reason for that, he's so taken with fight of the moment, I think he's kind of been living this way pretty much since about second or third grade, when he punched out his music teacher, Mr. Trump walks into a situation and he's quite antagonistic. And there you go, you have a fight, and he's ready to roll. And every day is like that. But the days don't add up. They're like discrete episodes, just like watching Seinfeld, right? You've got those shows. There's one show, it ends, the next one starts. They're not connected. They're individual moments. Most people's lives aren't like that. The moments are connected. There's a through line. It's like each of us is living a novel. Mr. Trump doesn't live a novel. He lives something like a very, very short story. And then the next day, you start with a new one with no reference to the previous
0: I mean, this almost sounds like the movie Memento, Antigree Memory Losses. It's
1: something like that. Yeah, Memento's a great example. I thought a lot about that. You know, people want to say, well, you know, this is a cognitive deficit, right? He, he doesn't have any memory. It's like, no, it's not quite like that. I mean, the, the movie Memento is pretty extreme. He wakes up every morning, and it is a completely new reality for him. It's not, it's not you know, We're not talking about a cognitive deficit here. Mr. Trump decided to live his life that way he's motivated to live his life that way he sees no point in living it ever any other way and again i think that boxer in the ring is the appropriate metaphor if you're fighting for three minutes in the ring you ain't got time to think about like yesterday or what's coming up tomorrow you know you right now have to like go at it if you let your guard down for a moment you're going to be obliterated by your opponent. Mr. Trump relishes life that way. He wakes up in the morning ready for a new fight and it could be completely new. I mean, you know, it, it, it really is sort of interesting. So like on Monday, you'll, he'll have a fight with somebody, let's say it's Nancy Pelosi and she's the worst person in the world in his mind and he'll trash talk her and so forth. On Tuesday, he may need her for something because it's a different battle. And so he might sweet talk Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday and on Wednesday he, he doesn't even, he barely knows who she is on Wednesday because on Wednesday, it's a completely different fight. It's a different moment and it doesn't add up. So yeah, it's sort of like the movie Memento, but in Mr. Trump's case, I think it's a matter of choice and this has worked for him. There's some really good things about approaching life this way. For one, authenticity. Trump is the most authentic politician, maybe on the planet, certainly in the United States, in the sense that He's all there in front of you right now. He may hide his taxes, but he doesn't hide parts of himself. He's right there in your face. And you see him right there in your face as the episodic man. And there's something primal and powerful and authentic about that. He's not hiding things with respect to his psychology because there's no psychology to hide. There's no story inside there. There's no complexity. He doesn't have emotional ambivalences. He's not like
0: is that. Is that part of the allure, the, the fascination with him is that maybe we're trying to ascribe some kind of internal personality when uh, you suggest there might not be one?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I I think, I mean, the press, all of us, I mean, we're all prey uh, to this. You know, People go crazy because Mr. Trump lies. What, 10 times a day, 20 times a day? I mean, you think he's up to 20,000 lies, according to the Washington Post. Well-documented lies. These aren't little opinion lies. These are lies like the sun comes up in the West. Now, he never said that, but it would be like that. And you go, no, the sun comes up in the East. He goes, no, no, no. The sun comes up in the West. I know that. Well, you're wrong, Mr. Trump. Well, some of his lies are so blatant that they sort of defy chemistry, physics, and common sense. But well, there's a lot of them like that. Okay. So like, how, how can you, how, how can you do that? Like wouldn't you be ashamed the next day? Wouldn't you feel bad about that lie the next day? He's not thinking about that lie because he's in a different fight on the next day. So there's, there are ways in which, This really works well for him, this approach to life. On the other side of it, if you want a president to take charge of something that has a long term ramification to it, like we need, let's say, to fight a war or let's say we need to defeat the coronavirus, something long term that requires a long term perspective and the marshalling of expertise that goes beyond the self. He's the worst leader on the planet for that.
0: It's so fascinating just because it's not sort of an idea that we have when we think about various personalities. You, of course, have studied this for many years. Is this really such a strange case? Does this not really occur that often?
1: I've met my match with Mr. Trump. I have spent two and a half decades pushing one idea in psychology. It's my thing, this idea of narrative identity. And the proposition here it always been fairly uncontroversial is that people create stories to make sense of their lives and that these stories are evolving, culturally shaped narratives in the minds of each of us And if you want to understand a person in a deep way beyond their traits and motives, you have to understand the story. And I've like fought this fight in personality psychology and published these books and done this research to kind of show this is the case. And now, voila, I run into the grand exception to the rule, the most powerful man on earth. And he seems to defy the expectations of the theory. And I don't have other good examples of people like that. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of variation in how, in the extent to which people are capable and interested in thinking about their lives in a narrative way. But you're really hard pressed to find a person, at least a prominent person in the public eye, who lives in the moment the way Mr. Trump does, who really is nearly devoid of any kind of narrative identity. So I want to say, and this is, like sacrilegious in my field, I want to say Trump is a one-off, right? There isn't anybody else like him. And of course, whenever I say that, psychologists go crazy because that's like undermining the whole science. Well, you know, we have to be able to explain this in terms of general principles, right, that that apply to other people. And I'll say, yeah, in general, but this case is way strange, folks. It's not just that he's narcissistic. It's not just that he's malevolent. Those things are like predictable and easy to deal with. What about this episodic thing?
0: I mean, what does it say about our own psychology, our own ability to form these narratives that we're now having someone who might not have an internal one?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting with respect to a leader because not only do nearly everybody out there has a story, but presidents of the United States and I think leaders other. Above, leaders in many different fields, for example, CEOs and so forth, not only do they typically have their own life story, but they project that narrative and a broad narrative onto their people, be it, you know, their company, their nation or whatever. Take George W. Bush or Barack Obama, both very different people, but they both had very strong, what I call redemptive narratives about their own lives. Bush was one about like finding Jesus at midlife and overcoming his drinking problems, Obama's was a kind of narrative of latching himself onto this great story of progress and civil rights. But in both of those stories, even though they're very different, the person sees himself at the center and evolving and changing and moving from the negative to the positive. Americans love redemptive narratives, and politicians usually play into them. They'll talk about America as living a redemptive narrative in one, in one way or another. We're getting better over time. You know, we're a favored nation. We're the city on a hill. Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, they talked about this in rhapsodic kind of terms. Pretty much every president has. And then you've got this one. Donald Trump, first of all, different because he doesn't have a story for his life. And second, when it comes to America, well, he kind of has a story. It's called Make America Great Again. And there is a narrative there. If The idea is once upon a time we were great and then we went bad and now we got to get that greatness back. So there is something to that. Uh, so he is able to like evoke a story in other people, but it's not in any way connected to his life, and in a way it, it's more really like a slogan than it is like a compelling American narrative.
0: What do, you, what do you think this then says for thinking about our current president and proceed as we go forward in the future?
1: Well, that question kind of takes us out of psychology and into more politics and, and so on. And we all have, you know, each of us has his or her own sort of prevailing views. And, and uh, with respect to Mr. Trump and his presidency and how it relates to us, he's just so different. I mean, the, Dem- the Republican Party is in a really interesting quandary here because this is a party that has stood for certain things, the rule of law, small government and so forth, balanced budgets over the years. And people have talked about how the party has morphed a bit and sort of met Trump. And so it's not just Trump who's sort of transformed the Republican Party. But it is interesting to imagine, like, well, what is the Republican Party going to be like when there is no Donald Trump? Now, you know, he may win this election. Let's say he doesn't, but but even if he does win it, someday there will be no Donald Trump, and there will still likely be a Republican Party. And what will it stand for? I don't know if there's another figure who can kind of promote the sort of agenda that Trump has promoted in the Republican Party that, that would be compelling. So I, I think that's kind of an interesting question well, what what's the world going to be like from the standpoint of Republicans once Trump is gone and so forth. There's other bigger issues, though, that have to do with our democracy. And these are sort of related to Trump's psychology, the fact that he's the episodic man, that he's primally narcissistic and so forth. What that has bred is a kind of authoritarian approach to government like really we haven't seen in a president before no respect for democratic institutions, no respect for the press, even for the other branches of government. Again, this is sort of part of his psychology in that he's living in the moment and fighting the moment and always promoting himself. But I think even if you had somebody else who had that kind of psychology, they they might still be able to step out of it now and again, and realize that there are other factors and features within our country, within our democracy, that need to be like part of the game, part of the story. But Trump can't do that, it seems, because he just can never get out of the ring. He is always boxing in the ring. He'll go and rest. He'll wake up the next morning and he starts over. This kind of life would wear everybody else out for whatever reason. It gives him energy.
0: You know, regardless of what the election uh, results are in November, do you think it'll affect him either way? It'll just be another day uh, post-election as it was beforehand, and it'll just sort of go on being this episodic man.
1: He will go on being this episodic man. It will affect him, no doubt. He will refuse to believe that he's lost the election. He may he may not. He may not be movable. I mean, we could have a very interesting constitutional crisis here, but eventually Mr. Trump will not be in the White House. I mean, even if he wins a second time around, barring a a death or something. I mean, he's going to have a post presidency period. And I think he will continue on in that episodic manner. He will find new battles to fight. He always does. He's been fighting them pretty much in the same way since he was very young. I don't see change. Mr. Trump is the least changeable person on the planet. Barack Obama talked about this in his remarks at the convention when he he said, "Well, you know, every, pretty much every president they get into the Oval Office and they're sort of impressed with the gravitas of the situation and the and the uh, you know the the rigors of the office and the tradition here and." People rise to the occasion. They change their behavior and they become presidential. They all do it. Nixon did it. Kennedy, Clinton, Reagan. Everybody changes when they get in the White House. It makes them different because there's so many pressures. Donald Trump doesn't change. He's a primal force fighting to win each moment. And he's going to be that way, I think, up until the last breath.
0: We were just talking with Professor Dan P. McAdams. He's the author of the new book, The Strange Case of Donald J. Trump, A Psychological Reckoning. And Professor McAdams, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure.